This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Good afternoon, listeners. My name is Camille. And my name is Julie. And we both work at Cheesemongers at Venismo Del Mar, and today we're here with a brand new segment on Noon on Tuesdays. We are the Dairy Maidens. Ding a ling a ling. Ding a ling a ling. <laughs> Jingle ads, whatever. Um, before we dive into the first episode, just a little about what we, as the Dairy Maidens, strive to accomplish with this wonderful platform provided to us by Venissimo's one and only cheese whiz, Gina. Yes, thank you, Gina. Uh, we spend a lot of time in the shop holding, smelling, tasting, and wrapping these lovely, unique cheeses. And naturally, we ask ourselves many questions along the way. And we thought, what better platform to ask these questions through a podcast? After all, cheese lovers, food enthusiasts, and eaters alike are bound to have similar or maybe the same questions, right? I hope so. Like, why do we have cheese? Or how do you make cheese? What distinguishes the good mold from the bad mold? Or what What the hell's brie? Or why are there so many cheesemakers that are women or both mm. or everything? Or right. what is a cheesemaker? So many more questions mm. that we are itching to discuss. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're going to kind of come from a little bit of historical lens, but deliver cheesy knowledge that is uh, approachable and interesting. And naturally, there are going to be distractions. So and naturally. yeah, that happens with me. Right. So. <laughs> with Camille. <laughs> with that, to all the listeners out there who cannot, for the life of them, stop thinking about cheese, please, please send us all your cheese-related questions at info at venissimo.com, and we will try our darndest to answer them. Because we like learning, and obviously, we like cheese. So. Mm-hmm. So today, what are we talking about, Camille? Um, we're talking about California because we're from California. Venice is from California, and uh, there's a lot happening cheese focus in California. Yeah, like why does California produce so much milk? Um, because as much as we love our almond and soy lattes, California is second to Wisconsin in milk production nationwide. So with that, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty or cheesy-gritty or whatever greediness that you want to get yourself into. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, I guess the first question we have is, why did it take the U.S. Americans so long to develop an internationally recognized cheese culture? So it kind of, yeah, got to go back some hundred years, um, and we're going to start with the gold rush. So that's from 1848 to 1855. California had an influx of more Spanish and Italian immigrants coming who brought with them their farming traditions and as well as their food traditions. So you're going to get a lot of cheeses that are from the homeland. And, of course, in order to feed themselves, they brought with them their cattle so they could have cows and to milk so they can have at least some sort of protein source to drink. Um, and then they're eventually going to use that to start making cheeses. And aside from cows, did they bring, like, goats and sheep and, like, other ruminants that they could milk? Like, is, I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I guess you're, like, moving your whole family across yeah. the United States. <laughs> you're going to bring everything with you. Yeah. But um, I get. I, with at least you can hook up to a cow, maybe like yeah. cross through the wagon. Yeah. But and like I heard, goats don't really walk long distances that well. So probably no, they not complain a lot. Too. Yeah, you, you have experience. With that, yeah, right? I have experience. Yeah. I love goats. I I want to own a goat one day. But um, <laughs> one day, one day, uh, maybe two. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but um, I I also think that if you, I mean, the country from the very beginning did start off a lot with farming, and so. Those who were picking up and migrating over to California were probably coming more from the land. And so something that they knew they could rely on is going to be 
farming. Mm. Um, so even if you went to the gold rush and you're trying to find gold, at least you could rely on producing something. And so most to likely, your yeah. family and like your community. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so it's kind of, you know, so 1855, later on 1860, there's a census out there that says there are 264,000 thousand people in California, which is really small. And 104,000 cows, which is almost half the amount of people as there were cows. So that's like a lot of cows to which, the, the ratio of people in 1860. And it, so when we found this information, we Julie and I were like, holy cow. And it happens to be. It happens to be a cheese. Like there's a cheese called Holy Cow from Central Coast Creamery that makes sense to us after learning about this stat. Um, and for those unaware, Holy Cow is a lovely young Swiss style cheese from Central Coast Creamery in Paso Robles, or California. Ro- Paso Robles? There's like two ways of there's saying like, it. There's like a those proper two, way to say it. Like there's the way Paso we Ro- say it and then there's like people from Paso Robles something. Right. Just whoever's from... That area. I'm, I'm so sorry, sorry we're saying it incorrectly. <laughs> right. Anyway, um, California, what we were originally talking about, um, from the 1860s to the 1970s, we see a rapid growth of milk production in California. So the dairy industry is babooing or mamooing? Mamooing. I think mamooing yeah. is more appropriate. Um, this was the 1980s. So certifications and food regulations were on an all-time high. And it's for the, these values that California um, – producing so much dairy, decided that they needed something to help consumers verify, like, this is real California milk. Mm-hmm. So by 1984, the Real California Cheese Sealed, which is a stamp that you probably see all the time when you go to the market, but you don't actually recognize it. It says, like, Real California, and there's, like, a little cow on there. That stamp signifies that any milk coming on on the shelf, that's on the shelf, not coming from the shelf, but on the shelf, um, is solely from California cows. And, and there are like specific regulations. And specific for that regulations, that are like yeah. At a higher standard, would you say, than like the FDA or USDA? I mean, it still organic. has to be FDA approved, right, obviously, yeah. to be grade A milk. But right. it's it's a way to distinguish like the milk that you're buying is actually coming from California, um, mm-hmm. and it's not being it's not coming all the way from like say New York or Pennsylvania or or Wisconsin or Wisconsin or, or like, wherever else there are, there there are cows everywhere, of course. But it's um it's a good way to see kind of where your food's coming from, but it's also a reflection of how the industry in California is just just producing so much milk that I'm assuming there's probably competition of people wanting to enter into our, our um, dairy industry mm-hmm. that Californians needed, because uh, there was a union before that, the California right. Milk Board Union, and they like, you know, we need something that says this is California milk. Um, but the cool thing is that it's exclusively Californian, and that milk is going to be used for making California cheeses. Yeah. So. Do, you, do you know of other states, you know, like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, New York, no, not, have not, their own no, labels? No, because like, I, I lived in New York for like a handful of years and I never saw like a New York state only. I think I think it's, it's a, just a unique California thing. Very cool. Which is exclusively California. Exclusively California. Yeah. Um, and by 1995, the California Milk Advisory Board started to encourage the industry to spread the message of California milk. Um, and and then yeah. through that on the sidelines, you know, you're getting you're getting farmers who are interested in making cheeses and non-farmers who are interested in making cheeses. And it's kind of where you're going to start seeing the sort of artisanal cheese movement mm-hmm. start to take place. In the 1990s, artisanal cheese making really started taking off. Yeah. So um, 1998, there were 130 types and styles of cheeses just coming out of California alone. Mm-hmm. 130. And, and by 2000, by the 2000s, California produced about 20% of the milk 
we have nationwide, surpassing Wisconsin as、mm-hmm. the nation's largest milk producer. Two years later, California, only producing 1.7 billion pounds of cheese, was surpassed by Wisconsin, while it still led the nation in the production of butter, nonfat dry milk, cottage cheese, and yummy ice cream. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I like ice cream.、Um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with Wisconsin cheese. They make fantastic cheeses, but it, I have to say it's kind of cool when you can surpass Wisconsin,、um, which doesn't happen very often. Often because they, they're very proud of their cheeses as、yeah. they should be. Rooted in tradition. Yeah. So, in,、um, so come around 2003,、uh, you start seeing awards popping out because there's the American Cheese Society, which I feel、uh, if you already listen to the Noon on Tuesday are aware of、um, the AC, ACS. Pardon、mm-hmm. me.、Uh, and then so in 2003, we won 31 awards. And so that kind of helped get、um, California cheeses, the image, out. Nationwide, because before that,、uh, even though we, you know, people were, were buying cheeses, it, it, it really is in the early 2000s that you see a, a, a recognition and consumers who want cheeses coming from California. It's also kind of it, 2004 is when Venissimo first opened their first shop in, in、um, Mission Hills. So, you know, we're all in the right time. Everything's coming together right、yeah. in that, that 2000, early 2000s.、Mm-hmm. 2006, you start seeing a growth in cheese production. It reached a record 2.21 billion pounds. And I think by 2000,、uh, 2016, it surpassed its 2006 record by producing 2.5 billion pounds of cheese. So, That's a lot、oh, of cheese. <laughs> that is a, a lot of cheese. cheese. Yeah. I don't think I can even eat that. I mean, I eat a lot of cheese, but that's a lot. Like, like, that's a lot of cheese. It's not even like, not only California people are eating it, it's like、yeah. being shipped across the world. And so, but, like, just, I mean, it's just so funny because I'm, Cal- I'm from San Diego originally.、Um, I've moved around a lot, but like, it's not the thing I think about when I think California. I don't think, like, oh, we, we not even just cheese, that we just produce so much milk.、Like, you just don't, I just don't think about those things. As someone who comes from Singapore, like not, I'm not from America or California at all, like coming to California, the one thing that I see as like attributed to the image of California is like oranges or like citrus fruit. You know, because、like、you, you spent about- a lot of time in Southern California. Right, yeah, I mean, I, I spent, I <laughs>、yeah. did college in Los Angeles, but like, yeah, that's like the image, you know, like fruits and like or avocados and, and or things、surfing. like that. Yeah. Like, and you don't think about. Milk, yeah, like cows. Like, I don't see cows in Los Angeles or in San Diego. You like、yeah. have to go to where is it like Sonoma or like which we'll, we'll get to that yes, soon. So, like, why、mm-hmm. why is it that California is is so profitable and and dairy making? But, um, yeah, so it's so when I read like 2.5 billion, um, pounds of cheese, I was going, whoa, again, like, holy cow. Um, and then the cool part of that is that 46.6 percent of California cow milk. Goes to just making cheeses. So almost 50% of the milk being produced is going directly to cheeses, which is, which again, just like this, the staggering numbers there to me. Yeah.、Um, like, and this is a lot, this is really overwhelming the amount of milk stats that we have for all the listeners out there. But, you know, it's good if you live in California and it's good if you love cheese and you drink milk on a daily basis to know where it comes from and you know how it got to where it is today. It's totally off topic, but do you prefer your, a glass of milk with a、uh, chocolate chip cookie? Yeah. yeah I mean, my dad, my dad was here, which he was like just now, he would love a scoop of ice cream, but you know, all dairy、yeah. products. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, wow,、well, why, why California cheeses?、Um, yeah. Like, how did it get so popular in California? And I think to really go back, we have to kind of. Not far back to a gold rush era, but 1970, so a little closer.、Um, and so the whole. 
new wave of artisanal food movement that takes off in California. Much like the era of people like uh, Alice Waters? Exactly like Alice Waters. Alice Waters, Jeremiah Tower, you know, Chez Panisse, this whole farm to table, this um, not the Rachel Carson's um, book came out in the, in the mid 60s. And it just, uh, for some reason, the vibe of California ness ism um, mm-hmm. just wanted to be more rooted in its own food sources. And because, because we're such a large state and there's just so much arable land, um, young people, like, because Alice Ward was young then, it's just like, why aren't we not just creating right. our own food? Like, why are we, why, if I own a restaurant, why can't I just get my food? Right around the corner. Right. Um, and the demand helped organic agriculture sort of take off as well. So, like, it was a partnership, you know, with, like, people who had the demand of it and people had the means to grow it and being in the state of California, which is, you know, super arable. And the climate's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess there wasn't really a defined food culture. Mm-hmm. I feel like California has created a defined food culture because before that, and there's absolutely nothing wrong. I love cooked green beans and fried potatoes and steak, but I feel like that's the yes. image that— there was there once was particularly like nights. I don't know if anyone's ever done this, but I had an obsession with cookbooks at one point. So oh, I was, I, yes, yeah. So <laughs> I would find these old cookbooks, particularly from like the nineteen fifties and sixties. And I'm not kidding; like all of it is like steak and potatoes and cream and different and, combinations of how to make meat, potatoes. And yeah, green, yeah. <laughs> steam and, green. and it's like, and, and it's just fun because even my my dad goes, "Yeah, you know, you had chopped liver," and I was like, "Oh, okay." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think you started. Well, I don't think, but. It is. You start seeing this huge blossoming movement in the seventies, and um, and then and then from that you start seeing it transform. And of course, cheese being part of food, uh, duh, yeah. it's going to be affected in some format. Right. And so it's taken time, but it's taken at this time. point, I would say it's safe to say that cheese is pretty much ingrained in American food culture. It's continuing. I, I think so. I think yeah. it really is. Like the cheese board. That's a that's a legitimate yeah. thing now. Yeah, you go anywhere and there's like a cheese board. Um, but kind of going off topic. But uh, well, it's everything's everything's always related. As one person once right. told me. But um, so so like again, like it's oh, question keeps coming up. Like why why California? Why California? And like the environment and the climate was a huge factor when it came to California's success in dairying. Like cattle could essentially graze the pastures year round because of the mild climate. Yep, and it's. It's unless you go really inland, it's kind of desert-like. But still, there's so much land. I'm kind of thinking back 100 years ago, there was just probably so much land available. Mm-hmm. I mean, even San Diego 20 years ago, there was yeah. still a lot of land available. Um, and because you have such a nice climate and it rains moderately, depending where you are, um, you're going to have like a great like quality alfalfa and clover and these like really interesting cover crops all throughout your grass that the milk will be rich because the cows are eating interesting, rich, flavorful. Um, grass and later hay. Absolutely. And yeah. so what you end up seeing is a huge concentration of uh, dairy farms more located in the Bay Area. Right. That was a sweet spot. And it soon became the first major dairy center in California. Um, just to get a little bit geographically technical here, California is bordered by the Sierra Nevada and the Rocky Mountain Ranges. Um, and these mountain ranges served as obstacles to the transport of raw milk either east or west. So that challenge um, helped California build and build its industry, the dairy industry in state. Um, Its processing capacities and like farming capacities, all of that happened in California because you can export the raw milk east or west. 
And then while that's growing, you have to figure out how to transport all of this. Yeah. So you get a rise in technological innovations, coolers, fridges, trucks. I mean, it's going up and down the coast um, and it's it creates that that transparency so you can start getting these items. Right. So it's all ha- everything's growing together in a really healthy way, I would say, and just kept. And that's why when you go back to those numbers, you know, early 2000s, you see. Oh, two point something billion. It's because this has been like slowly happening since the early 1900s to a point now where you can have two point something. I'm sorry, forgetting the number. Five billion in in 2016 because we we have in sense mastered how to preserve and transport Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And um, speaking on technological innovation. Back in the day, the California Creamery Operators Association, or CCOA for short, helped its dairymen and creamery men, if that's the same thing. uh, Creamy men? Creamy men. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) helped them with – helped these budding farmers turn business people with funding and policies to grow their businesses and keep up with the pace of rapidly changing life. So not only do you have technological innovation on a global scale in terms of transporting and preserving food, but you have it on a more immediate scale with the farmers and the dairymen Mm -hmm. Mm. and women. Yeah. And it's also, um, I recently was spending some time in Hong Kong and this is again, tangent, but uh, I was in a market and I saw Clover Sonoma and Organic Valley, and I'm like, wait, <laughs> I never left home. Like, right. So, so that's the other thing. You sort of that, take it for granted because you see. Yeah, it everywhere. because didn't you say in Singapore? I'm you also... from Singapore, and like you know, we have Organic Valley all over the place. I'm not so much Clover Sonoma, but Organic Valley. And or- I definitely, and Organic see. Valley is originally the company's from Wisconsin, but they um, they have a relationship with with farmers that are exclusively for Organic Valley. So, if you're up North California and you're driving along. Um, the highway near, near the yeah. Anyway, you're in a seat. You'll see an area that says Organic Valley, and those those cows have ocean view pasture. It's, it's a five like, star view. It's a five star view. So you gotta take care of your cows if you want good quality milk, and you know. Yeah, but so keep a note. Our, our California milk is, I guess, now worldwide. Yeah, you probably could find it in Not France if you looked hard enough. Maybe. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's bring the scope back yeah, to farm to table movement in California and who was making all these cheeses. Yeah. Uh, women. Women were making these cheeses. Uh, the term that is now referred to, the it's so lovingly referred maker, to, it's called the goat ladies. Yeah. Uh, which is why I like again. I wish I had a goat. Um, also, if you don't know, uh, listeners and people who don't know Camille, um, <laughs> her text tone and ringtone on her phone are of goats and sheep's bleeding. I think right now it's a cow. It's a cow. It's right? a cow at the moment. But, like, so if you text me, I'm not going to give you my number. You can hear like <laughs> mooing coming out of my back pocket. We are clearly um, in love with ruminants of all kinds. Yes, yes, we are. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So. Since the early days of cheese, cheese making was always seen as women's work. The men were in the farms tending to the animals' land in the facilities, while the women were at home dealing with the children and the food. Mm-hmm. And um, if you, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to think because I've had like random experiences, but I'm I did this workaway thing once in uh, not that long ago, but in Austria and. Um, he the cheese he was he was a man. It's actually perfect. I don't know why I didn't tell you about this. Um, so the the wife did the goat making cheeses, which is the goat cheese. Yeah, the small did, yeah, format. He didn't do that. She just did that. Right. And he did the huge format Alpine style cheeses. And uh, don't get me wrong, those things are really heavy to yeah. lift. Like yeah. nowadays, you know, since I feel like we're becoming more open about stuff, you you see a share of the work. 
But it definitely makes sense back in the day that you would have men doing these big gruyeres and comté-like styles because they're heavy. You have to flip, you have to wash them, you have to flip them. They're just time-consuming. So if you're a woman on the farm, you're already doing everything else domestically. So you don't, you only have so much time to make something. Did you do it's the a like, quick small pro- fish, yeah, a quick product thing? Yeah. I, I don't know why I didn't tell you that before, but yeah, it's just funny because even when I was on this Murray's, you went to Murray's. Yeah, even too, on right? Murray's, yeah. another the woman would lift the cheat the heavy cheeses because <laughs> there the were just one men who like lived. there was only like one man who would lift them. They're so heavy. They're they're just they're like, some of them are like two hundred. Maybe I'm over exaggerating, but they're very very heavy. And so mm-hmm. and, and, and 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 because of that. Um, some of the early California cheesemakers, which we'll dive into right very after, soon. very, very soon, um, they didn't really have facilities to do baking these huge. They just wanted to, like, make something. They like, mostly just, wanted to feed their families first. But, and like, then, like, like, but this, the part that you start, the creameries that you start getting now sure. early on, they just wanted to experiment. And they wanted yeah. to make something. You know, one person had been to France, one person had been to Italy, and they're just like, why can't I make that here? So mm-hmm. it kind of is almost logical that you would start off with goat. You also don't have to, you only need like two goats really yeah. just to like start off if you really wanted to start off yeah. versus like getting da- Small dairy cattle. Easy. Like that's huge and they're, yeah. they're expensive and you have to raise them. And so just there's like an economic factor that kind of almost forces you to have the goat ladies come mm-hmm. into play. Yeah. But, uh, Julie, do you want to dive into some of the early? Yeah, so the um, these women made more than enough for their families and started selling these cheeses at local markets, um, which is where the farm-to-table movement started, you know, coming more into play. And the chefs at the time um, were trying, I think they were trying to, like, break out of, like, more classic, traditional, like, French cooking. And then they started focusing more on California produce and local farm-to-table. And they went to all these farmer's markets and saw these cheeses. And they were like, wow, we can make cheeses here in our own land. Um, and so chefs like Thomas Keller started putting standing orders for these local cheesemakers mm-hmm. um, for their restaurants. Um, I think Thomas Keller has a partnership with Andante Creamery. Uh, Soyoung Scanlon is the cheesemaker there. And at, at one time, uh, Alice Waters from Chez Panisse put a standing order for Laura Chennel's goat's milk. Jesus. And I think we should kind of give a shout out to Laura Chanel because sure. she is like the original goat lady. Yeah. Um, she started her company in 1979 and was able to start making it nationwide affordable, um, like selling it and everything mm-hmm. and kind of helped uh, show people that you can make cheeses in the States. Um, but she's from California. Yeah. Other. You want to shout out other notable goat ladies? You're better because I butcher people's right. names. Okay. So Mary Keene <laughs> of Cypress Grove. Mary Keene is the one most people know and love. Cypress Grove makes, you know, Humboldt Fog, uh, Truffle Tremor. Lamb Chopper. Mm, yeah. Midnight then, Moon. Yes. We do have Judy Shad of Capriol Dairy. Allison Hooper of Vermont Creamery. And last but not least, Shauna Doty uh, of Bleeding Heart, who used to be a Venissimo cheesemonger. Mm-hmm. Hi, Shauna. Hi, Shauna. Um, so we mentioned Alice and Hooper from Vermont Creamery. Um, we just put that in, even though it's not focused just on California, but just showing that it's treat this whole movement in um, this is more like the late eighties, early nineties. is also taking place in the East Coast, but um, to bring back to California, you do have. I mean, Cypress Grove and uh, what's um, I'm forgetting Cypress Grove and Cowgirl Girl, Cowgirl Creamery are going to be like the most renowned. Mm-hmm. Um, cheesemakers in the beginning, and and then that helped kind of spread out to other uh, cheesemakers. But yeah, and if we're talking about um, cow versus um, goat's milk cheeses, before these goat ladies started making cheeses, most Americans only knew cow milk. 
cheeses. And without the cosine of all these chefs putting goat's milk cheeses on their menus, who knows where the cheese culture in America would be today. Because without that cosine, people, consumers and like restaurant goers would not, you know, want to venture out of their comfort zones and they would only eat cow's milk cheeses and they'll be like, ew, why, why are you making cheese with goat's milk? I've never even had goat's milk before. And so having a reputable source telling you, try this, it's delicious, mm-hmm. it sort of expands nationwide your view on what foods you want to put in your body and like how it's good for you in different ways than the foods you're already putting in your body. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay. I think it makes total sense. But if we're, I mean, if we're talking about... Go. I mean, I feel like we should type segment into Cypress Grove a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of our favorite creameries in California is Cypress Grove. Um, Mary Keene, I've already mentioned, started Cypress Grove in 1992. Uh, she was one of the first goat ladies to introduce goat milk at such a popular level. Um, and, you know, like many other goat women, she started milking goats to feed her family, something delicious and nutritious. Um, interestingly, recently there were acquired by the Emmy Group, which is the largest Swiss milk producer in Europe. So, but they have an agreement that nothing changes. Right. But it's 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 allowed um, Cypress Grove to become worldwide known because you can... Yeah. Emmys makes them delicious gruyers, but they also have access to a European market. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a long time um, for... Cal- California, but just also U.S. cheeses to be recognized in Europe yeah. as having like distinct quality reputation. Um, yeah, craft singles and like that whole era sort of like I think took American cheese down a couple pegs. And so yeah, with this, yeah. you get like because even in the shop, I still get clients who are like, "Oh, I don't want any of that American cheese." And I'm like, "Well, they don't even yeah. <laughs> try this um, yeah. because there's awesome stuff, and there's also a lot of apprenticeship apprenticeships that happen where." Uh, in America, we'll go over to Europe and stay with a, a creamery for a season and come back and make their own version of something. And so it's it's not as if we can't make good quality cheese. We make good cheeses. Mm-hmm. And um, we also have good milk. With, with At least I can, we're from California. I yeah. can't say for other yeah, yeah. states. But we're using interesting milk. And it's, it's I mean, this is also a perfect uh, example of Strauss. Strauss exactly. Cowgirl yeah. Creamery. Yeah. Strauss Dairy um, up north is actually um, provides a lot of their milk to creameries. And one of the well-known one is Cowgirl Creamery. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's another very popular one that most people know in California. It was founded in 1997 by Sue Conley and Peggy Smith. Uh, the dynamic duo came into cheese making with some food experience already under their belt. Um, for example, I believe... Peggy Peggy Smith worked Peggy with Smith was the one who worked yeah. with Alice Waters at Chopinese yeah. for 17 years. And so taking that food culture with her moving forward into um, an industry where she actually makes product is very powerful, I think. And I think what's, what's fun about what makes American cheeses American is that a lot of the stuff that um, – Sue and Peggy started with for experiments. Like re- like the famous story of Red Hawk was like they kind of forgot it in the back. And I'm like, oh, this turned out really good. Where yeah. in Europe you have th- these traditions. You have your um, application de regional controle. Yeah. You have these signs for, good re- for, for very good reasons because it's heritage. But what's cool about the States and cool about California is you can experiment. You can make things the that are funky. The still you relatively can, young. It's still young. Yeah. Even though it's booming now, it's still young and you're still, you're still getting uh, just, just really cool stuff popping out. I, I saw something, it was in the New York Times about a month ago, a little side segment um, on the weekend edition about 
just how all these cheesemakers are popping up and that they tend to be women. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's just showing you that there's just, there's just, it's, it's still happening. There's just, you just need a small mass space and just right. start making stuff. Um, Another woman we'll talk about, we kind of already talked about her a lot, but I really love her work. She's one her, of your favorites. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe she <laughs> So Young Scanlon from Andante Creamery in Petaluma started in 1999. And the name of her creamery called Andante comes from her musical background. It describes the slow and steady pace of cheesemaking. And, you know, taking that, um, she names a lot of her cheeses mm. after musical notes and notes pieces and references, and, references and, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, so she was originally a life scientist and a dairy scientist. And so when she went to France, she was just blown away by cheese and like mold and what it really was. And she took that all under her belt and started making her own cheese. Mm-hmm. She makes it beautiful. They're so delicate. And and she focuses more on goat mm-hmm. uh, milk as her, but she does experiment with other things. But she has her own goats. Um, but I think the cow milk she gets from a, a nearby farmer mm-hmm. and brings it in. Um, yeah. And, and, it, and it, I'm, not, I'm trying common. to reiterate. Right. Reiterate. I'm dyslexic. I kind of like okay. make up my own words. Okay. But um, <laughs> she, she, she's showing that you can still make cheeses even if you don't have the land. And, I, and having land is, is expensive. And raising livestock is, is really time-consuming. So if your full-time job is making a cheese, sometimes it is easier to buy in the milk because mm-hmm. you, you need another person to take care of you can't your, do it. Your, all. your I livestock. Mean, some people can do it, all, and we'll get to that a little bit. We'll later. get to that, and, and reason why they can too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, do you want to talk a little bit about Bellwether Farms, Camille? Yes, Bellwether Farms is a, another known California creamery. Um, it's a mother and son duo, uh, Cindy and Liam Callahan. But Cindy started the farm first, and she had the idea of making cheeses, and she needed help. And so her son said, "You know, let's just let's just go for it. Let's just try this out." Um, but what's different uh, for their creamery is that they focus, well, they started focusing just on sheep's milk. Mm-hmm. And you said they have like creme fraiche. And- so they do a lot of young, fresh cheeses yeah. that is, is not sheep's milk based. I think they they might have become more known for a, a more of their like yogurts and their creme fraiche mm-hmm. and things of that sort. But they, the mother spent some time, um, Cindy, sorry, Cindy Callahan spent some time in um, Italy and fell in love with the pecorinos there. And so... Uh, she wanted to recreate that in California, in her home in California, and so she kind of created, helped create a, a palette for sheep's milk based mm-hmm. cheeses. And so, so you, you can see the progression, right, from cow's milk to goat's milk, and now like sheep's milk, and slowly these cheesemakers are expanding the palette of American mm-hmm. Americans. And, she, and and the, the cheeses that come out of Bellwether Farms, it's more. Like everyday cheeses, they're delicious because I, I think that's her inspiration of being in Europe and just be able to have a good cheese on the table and just eat it for table breakfast cheese. or lunch or whatever. But they're like, but artisanally done and they're really mm-hmm. tasty. And I think that's kind of um, cool to see a creamery doing that. But yeah, you know. and I guess our last creamery, the one and only Point Reyes Farmstead Cheese Company. Yes, this is a uh, one of my particular favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, just. Because of the story, but also just the quality of the cheeses that come out of Point Reyes Farmstead cheese. Uh, so, started in it started in 1959, but it's actually three generations. Um, so, the Point Reyes <laughs> Creamery is, is before that it was really a dairy farm. Um, that was their main thing, and the and being you know I, and nowadays you don't really want to continue being a farmer. It's a lot of work, and so 
he had four daughters and they all went off to do wonderful, amazing things. And father wanted to retire and the daughters were like, yo, we don't want to lose the farm. And so let's make something out of it. It all came together and said, we're going to make cheese. Uh, so the Giacomini family decided that they were going to use their milk and experiment with making blue cheeses. And so it's because of Point Reyes um, Farmstead that you revamped blue cheese. Because before that, it was more like Maytag, and, and, um, which was known. Or it was impo- in the 1920s, too, right? Yeah, Maytag's been around for ages. Also, you know, from families of immigrants coming to the United States and mm-hmm. la, la, la. But it's, it, it, the Point Reyes blue was sort of a recogni- recognition to um, the U.S. that, yo, we, cre- we can make blue. We can make blue cheeses. We can make really interesting blue cheeses. And so that that one cheese alone just took the company took off after that. And um, what's unique about Point Reyes uh, Creamery is that because they were dairy farmers before, they t- took all those practices and implemented them in how they raise their cattle. So they are grass fed, and in during winter time, they're given s- silage, which is like a fermented hay. So they are not giving grains at all. And so that's why they, if, I don't know if you've noticed, but they'll promote that it's raw milk because they're really proud of their cows. They're really proud of their land and they want and they try really hard to represent that in their cheeses. So I don't even want to talk about the cheesemaker that's there currently right now. Right. So the first cheesemaker actually was Monty McIntyre, who established the original blue, a really delicious, lovely, creamy blue. Right now, as of 2009, Kuba Hemmerling is their head cheesemaker. Uh, he sits on the board of directors for California Artisan Cheese Guild. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Camille thinks he's a handsome hunk of he cheese. Has, he has a really beautiful like profile photo mm-hmm. on point, the point Very of the holding a giant wheel of cheese. And he has, cause you, right, because when you're making cheese, you have it's all san- sanitary. You have to have the boots and you have to have like, he has the, the right hair clothes. Net, but he pulls it off. He just pulls know? it off really well. So I recommend looking him up and that's like the image <laughs> that will come image, up. And Kuba it's just Hemmerling. like, yeah, and it's like, wow, you you go cheese. He, he he's he's a man, you know. Yeah. Just saying, you know, I know we were talking about California being based first off with um, cheese cheese ladies, the but ladies. the industry has grown so much that everyone's involved now, um, which is fantastic. That yeah. everyone's involved. But the great thing about um, Point Reyes cheeses, Point Reyes Creamery cheeses too, is that they have a kosher certification and a hundred percent organic land certification. But something that kind of struck us as odd was that none of their products are certified. Which is, is understandable, though, because it is really hard to get the, the approval. And expensive. And I think they're very transparent, and so you can find all their information. And, and I, I, I'm just a big fan. I think they make amazing blues, and mm-hmm. I think um, it's cool to to support a, a family-run company that is really proud of their own land and mm-hmm. proud of the products that they're making. And I think I think all of the creamers we've talked about are very proud of what they make. Um, I, 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 if we chose these creameries in particular because some of them are historically important, but also that they um, care about what they mm-hmm. create. Yeah, they um, care about what they make and how that gets put into their consumers and their customers. And, and, and why Venissimo, we carry these cheeses. Um, right, and lucky for you guys listening right now, we have Point Reyes Original Blue and Toma in our Del Mar location. So that's, we're from Del Mar. Yeah, we're, we work in <laughs> the Venissimo yeah, Del Mar shop. I don't know so. where the other shops came, uh, but... Uh, but go check them out. Go check know? them out. And um, a good known fact with Venissimo is that there's ever cheese we don't have. Please let us know. We will try really hard to get it because we... 
adore trying new stuff and we really like to have interesting things on our shelves um mm-hmm. we have a list in our back sort of running room list, yeah. a running list of all the cheeses that are requested that you know we need to call these customers when they come in so we will definitely call you when mm-hmm. we have your cheese so with that, I might put in a request for Bay Blue. Oh yeah, like Bay Blue is your favorite. That's yeah. favorite. I've not tried that one, so I should put a maybe I, I will put a request. Julie name Crescent on thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay, right. Camille. I feel like we've been talking our mouths off about California and the Goat Ladies and your cheesemaker hunk, Mr. Cuba Hemmerling. Thank you. Um, so it's a good let's photo. It's yeah. good role modeling. <laughs> let's review what we have learned. Okay. Um, so we're going to go through the. We went through the general history of milk. Um, the history of milk in California, how it became popular, sort of the farm-to-table movement, uh, the artisanal rise of fancy foods in, and just tasty foods in general in California, um, who are and who were the goat ladies, uh, and notable creameries in California. Uh, am I missing anything? I don't know. I think you got it all, but... I mean, we're, we, there's so much information. There's so much information all. out there. Um, this is true. Just just on California alone. So, And there are, are, are other... Cream. There's so many creameries. Yeah, we can never cover it all in this short amount of time that we have, but that's why we have you listeners. Um, if you think we've missed anything or need to explore a topic further, or if you just have something that you want us to know about, please let us know. Email mm-hmm. your comments, thoughts, questions, and cheese-related concerns to info at venissimo.com so we can address all of them on the next segment of Dairy Maiden. Here from Specialty Produce Network in San Diego, we wish you a happy Tuesday, and please, for your own sake... Eat more cheese. Hi, fellow cheese lovers. Cheese Whiz Gina here, and I invite you to subscribe to our Noon on Tuesday podcast to hear all about cheese all the time. You can listen on iTunes or SoundCloud or subscribe via FeedBurner under Noon on Tuesday. You can also watch us live every week on Facebook at Venissimo Cheese at, you guessed it, noon every Tuesday Pacific time. We're fun, we're cheesy, so tune in and tell your friends to tune in too. Ciao. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.